welcome to The Straw Hat with Rabbi David Wolkenfeld and Rabbinate Goldie Guy. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to The Straw Hat. We are recording on Monday, March 22nd, which is the 9th of Nisan. This is the week uh, prior to Pesach, just a few days prior to Pesach, and that is just about uh, the only thing that we're all thinking about, among the most important things we're thinking about. I, I always get a ton of Pesach-related questions each year, starting uh, two, three weeks before Pesach, leading up to the holiday itself. Um, I actually really enjoy it. Um, it's it's um, fun to feel like a rabbi, you know, that by like training in halakha is, is actually useful to, um, to the community, uh, which is, of course, true throughout the year, but is especially true leading up to Pesach. Uh, have, have you uh, gotten into that pre-Pesach dispensing halakha guidance uh, season yet? Oh, yeah. It, it was really fun to actually staff the boilathon, which was one of the, it was the first time I've ever done that. I usually use separate Pesach dishes and shuls I've been in don't do that. Uh, and staffing it was also a way to use my halachic training and to do mitzvot with our hands, which I think is really fun, um, and with my hands and the you know those weird gloves, and uh, getting all those questions. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun checking out the different food items that people are preparing for Pesach. <laughs> That's also fun. Right, you got you can predict. You know, I used to uh, try to predict like the Shabbos menu based on my grocery list. That was like my like a game I used to play with myself. So I think maybe you can sort of like guess what people are, what recipes people are planning on cooking based on the ingredients they're asking about, maybe. Yep. Uh, Gives me a little inspiration for my own menu. Like, excellent. Oh, I never excellent. considered this ingredient. And now I know. <laughs> Fantastic. The, the boil plan is a lot of fun. I, I also never saw it before coming to Chicago. I, I think, uh, you know, we had just had Pesach pots and, you know, separate items for Pesach, and which we stored in the attic or whatever in the basement and things like that. And, uh it was sort of a, it's a nice way to meet people. It's um, those yeah. giant lobster gloves are really amazing. You can just dip your hand up to your elbows in boiling water. It's like pretty, pretty cool. I, I think, I think when, you know, in, in a type of uh, work that we do, it's often hard to feel like a tangible positive outcome. You know, like you sort of, you sometimes like if, if you are successful, sometimes you don't know it for years later that, you know, somebody feels fondly about the Torah because of <laughs> maybe something you said that inspired them in some way. And you, you probably never find out. But when you actually find out, okay, like now this item is kosher for Pesach before it wasn't and we've helped you dunk it or we dunked it and now it's kosher for Pesach. Like this is a change in the world that, uh, you know, that's like some positive um, uh, assistance. So that's, that's always a nice feeling. Yeah, and also showing it to little kids who show up, who oh, keep lovely. their safe distance from the from the pots, but see these huge pots on the stove and wonder what's going on. Oh, fun! Yeah, fun show and tell. That's nice. I did the I did the weekday uh, like Tuesday night uh, boilathon this year, so I did not get. To, there were no little kids who came to, late oh. Tuesday night, but uh, I'm glad some kids came. That's nice. Right, it's a great time to explain kibolo kachpolto. Right, the <laughs> the manner in which we kosher pots is the, if they absorb taste in a certain way, then that's how they also ex- exude the taste. Um, so that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So, so, so this year, Erev Pesach is on Shabbat. This happened uh, last in 2008. So it's been, it's been a while since uh, that's occurred. Uh, we have it again, I think, about four years from now. And then we have a 20-year gap before it happens again. So it's, the, it's a pretty unusual configuration of the calendar that Pesach begins on Saturday night. And 
I guess the nice thing is you can take a Shabbos nap before the Seder. Like, that's good. I think everyone agrees that's really positive. You know, hopefully you're, you have some energy to stay up at the Seder. Downside is that all of the, like, last-minute preparations for the Seder that usually would take place in Erev Pesach have to happen either earlier or in a really different way. So all of the cooking for the Seder, you know, can't take place on Shabbat. The grinding the horseradish can't take place on Shabbat. The, you know, making, Mixing you know, together the salt water. Mixing the salt water can't happen on Shabbat because that's right. That's right. Um, so those types of preparations all have to take place earlier, uh, in addition to like the cooking that has to take place earlier. And, and then even the mitzvot, right, are complicated because like you have to have Shabbos meals, um, which require lechem mishnah. You have to have two loaves of bread at every Shabbos meal. How do you do that on Erev Pesach? So uh, I spoke about this. I taught about this last Thursday night. If you're listening, you haven't, you didn't hear that on Thursday night. I'm, I'm, so it's it was recorded. It's on YouTube. You can listen and watch. And uh, I guess I'll just very briefly the the Upshot is, um, we search for chametz Thursday night. We say the bracha for the midst of searching for chametz. We burn chametz symbolically Friday morning. We're going to have a burning this year in the shul driveway slash parking lot. Oh, we, we didn't do it last year. Last year was like really, we just, everyone felt, just stay home. Don't don't leave your house. Don't, you know, like anything that would require the fire department to be the least bit nervous. Like they have other things, you know, it's just a real emergency footing. We did not gather for public beer chametz last year, but this year, we can burn comments. I think that's that's a pretty uh, socially distanced and safe thing to do, given the situation right now. Uh, and then for Shabbos meals, probably it makes most sense to have like the actual food that you eat be already kosher for Pesach food that you've cooked in your Pesach pots and pans, kugel, chicken, fish, salads, um, potatoes, okay, vegetables, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, and then just to start the meal with two small challah rolls, which you then eat entirely, right? Uh, you know, well, I think we're probably going to have, like, challah first and then remove those, like, on paper plates, let's say, and then remove them and then have the rest of our meal probably on Pesach plates, uh, but, like, not with, not having the challah, like, on the table at the same time as any serving utensils or anything like that for our, you know, for our Pesach food. Uh, and then in that way, we'll have, you know, fulfill them. And then Shabbos morning, it's a little more complicated because the prohibition against eating chametz starts the morning before Pesach begins. So already Saturday morning, we can't eat chametz anymore, so we're going to have our Shabbos lunch really early. So davening at Shul will be really early. It's going to start at, um, I think, 7.30. So we'll be everyone should be home by between 9.15 and 9.30 and you know have your challah at your Shabbos, early, early Shabbos lunch. And, and then Shabbos Shittis will probably be without bread. Okay, the people can, Some people can have two meals in the morning, so have three meals, three Shabbos meals before the prohibition against chametz begins. I think we're going to have a Shabbos Shittis without bread, which is a, definitely an endorsed way to have a Shabbos Shittis. Some say every week, and, and I think uh, for this week, that's, that's a recommended practice. So there are lots of different solutions to these problems. This is, uh, I think, what we're going to do in, in our house. But there's some other ideas as well that people may adopt. Makes sense. What's your take on egg matzah? So egg matzah in, in the Talmud is called matzah ashira. It's like an oxymoron. It's, you know, matzah is supposed to be lechem oni, the bread of affliction, the poor man's bread. And But if you make it with juice or with eggs that instead of water, that I guess somehow makes it like richer or more, you know, um, certainly a, a richer taste. Um, and it's subject to a lot of dispute in the Talmud already about whether it is um, valid for the mitzvah of matzah or whether it even can be eaten on Pesach. Maybe it's... Uh, right. Maybe it's chametz, and and which uh, puts the, it in this interesting in between category for the Shabbos that is erev Pesach. Yes, mm-hmm. insofar at meanings. Meaning, it's not it's not bread per se. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's yeah. Ma- but but you may not be using it for your mitzvah of matzah. Um, so if it doesn't qualify in the category of matzah, maybe it could be eaten. 
on the Shabbat. Exactly, right. Because the other piece of that puzzle is that we have the practice of not eating matzah prior to Pesach so that the mitzvah would be really special when we eat matzah at the Seder. We haven't had matzah for one day, some people 14 days, some people 30 days. So it's like really special when we eat matzah at the Seder. So egg matzah can't fulfill the mitzvah of matzah at the Seder. So maybe we could have it on the Shabbos, like, you know, prior to Pesach. And in that way, we don't have to worry about having bread in our house and right. crumbs on our so, plates. Uh, we have egg matzah. The pro- yeah, that what's the reason that you choose your mini challah rolls over uh, egg matzah? So, so one, so one, one issue is that the egg matzah for those who don't eat egg. So, for the other side of that equation, the Ashkenazi position that egg matzah should not be eaten, not only not for the mitzvah of matzah, but it really should not be eaten on Pesach at all because it might be quasi chametz, or at least we're concerned for that possibility, even if we don't like hold by that possibility. So then the that practice, that Ashkenazi halachic position of not eating egg matzah on Pesach would already begin um, Saturday morning when the prohibition on chametz begins. So it doesn't really get you that many, it doesn't, doesn't like solve the Shalashudah's problem. It doesn't like get you into Saturday afternoon. Uh, and there also are questions about whether what bracha should be said. And, mm-hmm. you know, so Ramesh Feinstein endorsed egg matzah. He felt that even if we don't know what bracha to make an egg matzah throughout the year, for Erev Pesach that occurs on Shabbat, when this is what the type of bread that we have available for us, you can say a motzi on egg matzah, for, for the, at least for this Shabbos, if not other mm-hmm. times. So, so we endorsed that position, and obviously that's valid, you know, because um, <laughs> he has good re- – because the rationale is solid and because he said it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I, I think uh, – you're trying to avoid any complication, any any. No, area I just, I, I just like I don't, you know, like I'm gonna buy a box of egg matzah just to have one of that, you know, to eat one of them. I don't know. So what else am I gonna do with it the rest of the year? And what do I? I don't know. It's uh, could hand people a piece of egg matzah as they walk out of shul in the morning. Everyone comes to shul. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. We could do that. Yeah, but we're not doing that. To be clear, no, yeah. no, yeah, yeah. We we in our house we eat matzah throughout the year. Well, not all of us, but some of us do, especially. Uh, uh, Noam, Noam loves to have matzah with scrambled eggs. Mm, nice. So, yeah. So for him, like not eating matzah before Pesach is a major uh, um, hardship, you know. So he, mm. he misses it. Mm. Mm. Uh, the rest of us, not so much. Uh, so, so other. I don't know. I think that's like the basic uh, sort of overview of Erev Pesach on Shabbat. You can listen to the hour-long shiur on this, uh, and also there's on our synagogue resor- the the Pesach resources um, landing page on the shul website. Uh, if you go to ASBI.org, the first thing you see should be a whole uh, link to a page just of Passover resources, which include uh, several different uh, overviews of how you might, in English, of how you might navigate um, Erev Pesach on Shabbat. Uh, if you think of other questions, like ask us, okay? That's like really why we started teaching about this a few days ago already last week, why we're talking about this topic today. Uh, so like you have time, okay? Like the sooner you ask the questions, the sooner we have a chance to look up the answers if we don't know them already. And that's... Uh, Okay, yep. and, and we are and at your to. service. At your yeah. service. <laughs> People often are apologetic when they ask halakhic questions. I'm so sorry to interrupt you or whatever. You're so busy, and like, and I always feel it's like, nope, that's my job. <laughs> Not only is it my job, a lot of things are my job. This I'm actually qualified to do. Like that's what I, <laughs> you know, like. You know, you, you put your dairy spoon in your chicken soup. Like literally, I, I literally I like went this. to school. I went to I school to learn how to help you in that situation, as opposed to like ninety percent of like you know, like how do you safely guide a synagogue in a once in a hundred year uh, pandemic, right? Like I don't know. That's like right. no one knows. Right? No one alive knows knows the answer to that question. Um, so so I, I actually really appreciate it when you. Uh, Interrupt Give my job to ask, to ask you a lot of questions. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. It gives us a sense of control. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>
Uh, speaking of control and anxiety about control, um, last week the CDC issued its uh, guidance for um, yentif hospitality. Not exactly, but 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 almost. That's basically what they that's what they did. Uh, they declared that people who are vaccinated can begin to socialize indoors without masks, uh, share meals together, uh, and they said that if uh, there can be unvaccinated people present in that gathering, as long as the unvaccinated people are themselves at a relatively low risk of complications from you know severe COVID, and so long as those unvaccinated people are uh, in just one household. So. Uh, We've tried to kind of spread the word in the congregation of what that might mean, uh, especially for for yantif and Shabbos meals and things like that. Um, you know, we, we have our we, we made, made our medical uh, uh, some of our medical experts available, made themselves available to sort of share their guidance with the shul. Uh, I think it's really exciting after really many months where there was no you know responsible endorsed approved way, let's say you know from the highest levels of public health to um, socialize indoors without masks, which is really necessary for eating. Uh, now there's a way and with, with limits to people who are vaccinated, but that number of number of vaccinated Americans is growing by two, three million per day, uh, and uh, including in Chicago, including in our community. And so that really just the possibilities for hospitality and, and the normal ways of communal life is really, has got rapidly returning. It's really, really exciting. So, so we have not yet hosted anyone, but we have plans to host <laughs> over over Yantif, uh, and um, it, it we're kind of a little nervous about it, but also really excited. Yeah, same here. I have some plans over Chag to eat with other adults who are fully vaccinated, who I have not eaten with over this entire time that I've been here in Chicago, and same same kind of feeling: excited, nervous. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Uh, we, we were cleaning out our apartment of things that, you know, hadn't been. Uh, one of our kids made a little uh, box city out of some cardboard boxes that finally got cleared <laughs> away um, in anticipation <laughs> of guests returning. Um, so, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, uh, I think the, I'm going to see yeah. the inside of other people's houses. Which is really interesting, right? Not just the uh, the curated, uh, you know, Zoom screen of their bookshelf, right? You have to... and the virtual background, <laughs> or, the, or the virtual background, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, it's. I, I think the anxiety is very natural, and you know, as we've extended a few invitations to people we know to be vaccinated, uh, we've had people turn us down and say they just don't feel ready yet, and uh, which Same I here. absolutely Same absolutely here. respect, and and uh, it takes time, and but but I I, I do think it's. Um, you know, people should have a, like a long-term goal of getting back into the swing of things once they feel ready, and to try to you know take baby steps towards towards that that you know feeling comfortable. Because uh, you know, I think it's important to just encourage other people to get vaccinated. So there's a public health benefit of people who have been vaccinated doing enjoyable things. I think that promotes like this major public health initiative of encouraging people to um, seek vaccination. And like that's the the point of of, of this struggle is to um, rebuild life in, in all the ways that were meaningful to us and, and, and were valuable and which include hospitality and, and chesed and, and being in hosting and all the, all those, all those wonderful, wonderful things. I, I, I've, I've realized that nothing is going to bounce back automatically. Like we've been in this weird, uh, abnormal situation for too long for things to just bounce back. So we can't snap our fingers and everything is as it was. I think each aspect of our communal and individual lives that were, part of our lives a year ago or 13 months ago, we're going to need to consciously uh, rebuild. I think that's true for, for a, like a vibrant culture of hospitality. Mm. You're going to have to be rebuilt really step-by-step, step, very 
proactively and conscientiously, and that's true for um, I don't know, like like our minyan at shul, like I, you know, like we've we've even uh, it's been you know there you know officially there is clearance and and we're open for minyanim. We don't we don't actually convene a minyan on on you know more than half of the opportunities. I just think they're just the the population that is ready and available is is a smaller subset of the community. Hopefully that subset will grow and grow and grow, but I think we're going to need to be really creative and conscientious about bringing back online those parts of our um, individual lives and communal lives that we push to the side. I think you mean offline, like actually in person. Right. Online meaning like, <laughs> right, not online, right, in real life, back to real life. In the original, the original sense of online meant like operational, back I, to I, operational. I, yeah, we, we got yeah. it. Yeah. Well, a lot of metaphors are a little... Uh, a little tired these days. Tooled. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of ways in which we've been connecting together actually online, virtually over this time, uh, our weekly Parsha class, our Lunch and Learn, has been meeting on Tuesdays from 12 to 12.30 and will continue to meet uh, for the foreseeable future as long as we've... I want to interrupt and say I'm so happy about that because this has been like a dream for like... I don't know, years, there should be like a daytime class, something on Parsha, and I'm so happy that finally you've made it happen. So, sorry. You, please, oh, please continue to describe you. the class, but I just want to say I'm really happy <laughs> that it's happened because so for fun. years and years, people are like, oh, this should be like a Parsha class and, and whatever. This should be something during the day yeah. for people, you know. So now you know, it's I think, happening. And so. I, right. I think the circumstances are, are unique to, to allow this to happen. Usually it's hard for people to show up, you know, 12 o'clock to the shul on a, on a weekday. And here you can just log in, and the link is on the website. Uh, and you, we have a steady group showing up, but uh, people come in and out uh, from week to week. It's, it doesn't require you to come every single week to know what's happening, and that's also a unique feature of the class. And it's, it's a really nice group. We just have uh, – I bring a few sources on the Parsha, talk about a few themes, or on the weekly uh, holiday that's coming up, whatever's relevant, and we share thoughts and ideas. And uh, it's, a, it's a nice little group that we have going on. And we're happy to have more people join uh, and contribute your thoughts. It's a good way to frame the week. I always kind of think it's kind of funny that we meet on a Tuesday. It makes me think that Shabbos is tomorrow on a Wednesday. Uh. <laughs> it's kind of disorienting. But also, it gives me a way to frame my week. Right? That Oh, the Parsha's coming, right? I'm thinking about Torah. I'm thinking about uh, the theme of the week. And, and it orients the rest of my, my week towards Shabbat, which is really nice. I think that's a great, a great thing about like the Parsha, it's like the original Dafyomi, you know, it's the original like synchronized, like every Jewish person anywhere in the world, like should be thinking about the themes of that week's Parsha. You have a whole week to, to think about it, to study, to talk about it, to, you know, to go to classes about it, to share ideas. And then, you know, Shabbat should be the culmination of a week long of thinking about the Parsha, studying the Parsha, learning about it, et cetera. So I think Tuesday is a wonderful time to think about the Parsha. And then I guess it's a head start for for Shabbos. I guess if, you're, if you have other teaching in your schedule, like a great, great way to begin that. And uh, yeah. uh, fantastic, fantastic. So so I'm really happy it's happening. And uh, I guess I also want to like echo your open invitation that yeah. people should join. And even if you don't have to be available like every single Tuesday till the end of time, but if any particular Tuesday you're available at noon, you can, and whatever, people can sit and eat their lunch while they, right? Exactly. You don't, it's you it's don't bring mind, your own lunch and it's, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and it's a great way to get to know each other also, just to, to share a little bit. The friendships that, that form over Torah study are really special. It's a really great way to like fasten to someone's life and who they are. Absolutely. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so speaking of, uh, um, 
Parsha and Dafyomi. Uh, the Jewish people, uh, you know, are owed a mazel tov this this week uh, for finishing Masech uh, Psachim in the Dafyomi cycle. Which a mazel tov uh, to you, Rabbi Walkenfeld, for finishing. <laughs> thank you. And thank to your you. Dafyomi shir. Thank you on, behalf, on their behalf. Thank you. It's a yeah, <laughs> and that's also it's it's uh, everyone is welcome to join at uh, uh, six a.m. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's our, between thirty and forty minutes is gets us through the daf, so you can be done in time to uh, wake up the rest of your household, or go back to bed, or you know, or, or whatever you know, put you know, push yourself through till uh, till an afternoon nap or whatever it is that that can get you up in time, but. Um, and it's a great way to start the day, I believe. Um, and uh, so others are welcome to join. Uh, we are starting a new uh, short, short tractate um, this week. Uh, we start Masechet Shkalim uh, this week, uh, which is sort of a different. It's, it's not a real tractate. It's not a tractate in the Babylonian Talmud. It's a tractate in the Yushalmi, the so-called Jerusalem Talmud or the Palestinian Talmud, which is generally not part of the Dafyomi cycle. It's the other Talmud. It's the Talmud that you know didn't become super dominant and, you know, uh, the foundation of Jewish life and Jewish law and Jewish thought. It was the alternative Talmud that developed in the secondary, smaller uh, Jewish community in Eretz Israel. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's still really important. And uh, for, for whatever, we were discussing this before recording. Uh, we don't exactly know why, but it seems that when the Babylonian Talmud was some early printings, they included this one tractate of the Ushami there in with the rest of the printing of the Babylonian Talmud, um, probably so that all of Seder Moed, all of the um, the Masechta, the tractates that deal with the seasons and the holidays and times of the year would all be included in this printing. Uh, all the other tractates, all the other Masechta have Babylonian Talmudic tractates uh, for them. Um, every Each tractate of the Mishnah in this section of the Mishnah, this Seder of the Mishnah, this order of the Mishnah, ha- was studied in the Babylonian academies. There is a Babylonian tractate for the entirety of Seder Moed, uh, the entirety of that order of the Mishnah, except for Shkalim, which only existed in the Yushalmi. And so you print it in with your Bavli, with your Babylonian Talmud. I guess it made it easier to sell or something. It was like a you know a more <laughs> impressive set or something. I don't know. And uh, so when Dafyomi was, was started in 1923, they included it as well in the Dafyomi cycle. So um, what's your experience with Yushalmi? Have you like ever spent a lot of time no. with I, I've learned it in in depth classes when we've done like comparisons between you know the style of the Yushalmi versus the style of the Bavli, um, and also to trace older texts, right? So like uh, the Yushalmi is again, uh, I'm not an expert on the academic Talmud study of it, but the Yushalmi said to have an older tradition preserved there of uh, so when there are parallel uh, discussions, so the the framework that you find in the Yushalmi is often like the older, more kind of <laughs> authentic version of the original discussion. And then the Bobbly has these uh, added sections, elucidations, uh, different digressions that are added in later as the Talmud developed. So that's uh, my experience with the Yushalmi. I'm really excited. If, if we had a reason for doing Psachim, for joining for Psachim last, uh, last Masachet, which was to sync up in, in your Pesach prep, which it has done really, really nicely for me, uh, I'm excited to do Shkalim because it'll be... I think my first foray into doing an entire tractate for sure. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, and I, uh, I also, feel, I'm kind of intimidated. I, I've also mostly encountered Yushami in comparison. So, like, <laughs> the Aramaic is different. That's what's going to throw me. Yeah, yeah, right. Babylonian Aramaic and Palestinian Aramaic were really different languages, and so even if you like reach a modicum of uh, fluency in Babylonian Aramaic, Yushami is like a different language, and you have to like learn that new vocabulary. 
which uh, I have not done. So like that, that's one like barrier. And then the style is really different. As you mentioned, it didn't have those like final stages of editing that, um, you know, allowed it's even us more to... terse. It's even, even more, more terse. terse. Exactly. Like, all those words was like, and then he said, and he responded. And, but what about this? Like all those like words and connecting words in the Babylonian Talmud that like turn the statements into arguments and discussions. Like a lot of those words are missing in Yishalmi, which I think is sort of a barrier. And then the other barrier, like this wasn't, it wasn't studied in the same way with the same continuity. So with the Babylonian, like Jews studied the Babylonian Talmud, like uninterrupted, you know, from the beginning, from from Babylonia, right, right, you know, and uh, like Rashi didn't write a commentary in the Ushami, right. like he wasn't studied in the in the schools where Rashi went, so that's right. a really I big think deal. The, like the commentaries <laughs> that exist on the Ushami are like from the 17th century. Yeah, uh, I think even later because like, which is kind of cool. Like if you're you're like a rabbi in the 17th century, like I'm not going to write a commentary on the Babylonian Talmud. <laughs> like that's been done before, but like nobody's written. There's no line by line commentary on the Yishami. Like what a great opportunity. But like also like oh, yeah, that just shows <laughs> nobody really knows what these missing. words mean. And, exactly. <laughs> so bring your skepticism to your study. Of- <laughs> yeah. So there are translations. There is like you know, art school has a translation of the Yishami. There is a current Steinsel's translation of the Yishalmi, which uh, is now up in Safari uh, as, as part of their Talmud translation. Uh, so, so, so there are translations. I think those translations just you have to like take with a grain of salt because, like, the translator kind of said, okay, here's what these words mean, here's what the passage means. But I think uh, a academic would tell you nobody really knows what anything means in the Yishalmi because it's just so unedited and so uh, terse and like so that's kind of which is cool. But again, it's, it preserves older traditions, which is pretty awesome. It preserves the halachic. Uh, homiletic um, traditions of the Jewish community of Eretz Israel, which is a very ancient and important Jewish community. So uh, everyone's encouraged to to check it out. Uh, but and it's short too, because then we go back to the Babylonian right. Talmud in just a few weeks. And in April already, we're moving on uh, to. If you're looking for a, a quick seeum. Quick seeum, exactly. <laughs> dive in, dive out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That so um, exciting, exciting times. Yeah.